Welcome to another episode of the In Transit Podcast, brought to you by the 200 cold calls I did today and made absolutely nothing. Just kidding. It was actually 196 cold calls. One of those days, man, you just, you you try your best, you give it your all, but there's a lot of uh, hanging up of the phone and a lot of I don't work with brokers and, and all that kind of stuff. So in any case, it was a, it was a very uh, humbling day for me um, in terms of doing business and trying to get business. I did a few quotes, however, so that was good. I'm, I'm glad I got that out of the way. Uh, today, actually, on the podcast, I definitely wanted to talk about um, something that's near and dear to me, and that is uh, actually this new agreement that is to do with international trade. You probably have heard it named NAFTA 2.0, um, but uh, you know the, the official name for the U.S. is USMCA. And for Canada, it's the C-U-S-M-A or Kuzma. And then you got the Mexican side, which is the T-M-E-C, which is a T-M-E-C agreement, respectively. That's for the U.S., Canada, Mexico. And um, so, of course, international trade is a lot of my bread and butter. I do a lot of a lot of my business with uh, international shipments that move out and about, of course, mixed in with intra-Canadian shipments. But um, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, the US, Canada, and Mexico, they have, I'd, I'd wanna say it is relatively the, 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 the best or, or most efficient trade agreement probably in the world. And uh, there's a lot of trade that happens between these three countries. This goes without saying, of course, but you know when you when you take a look at it. I mean, even even last year, if you just take a look at the first six months, in terms of the analytics and the numbers side of the game, um, you know there was uh, 306 billion dollars of trade that happened between the U.S. and Canada, and um, there was 309 billion dollars worth of trade or goods that uh, were transported between uh, the U.S. and Mexico. So again, those are big numbers. So that is a lot of money going back and forth. And um, if you look at um, a larger time scale, um, even like from 1993 until last year, so until 2019, trade actually went up. It went from, and it was, it didn't just go up. I mean, it went you know, ten, uh, you know, four times the 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 1993 amount. It went from 290 billion dollars to 1.23 trillion between the three countries. So, I mean, yeah, I mean that that's over a trillion dollars a year. So that's that's a lot, a lot of money involved. So yeah, cross border trade is is a pretty much a, a business in itself here in in a you know collectively speaking North America and that's why uh, that's why it was created to, to, to help all of the trade regulations along and um, you know it's 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 in effect I mean since July 1st um, you know NAFTA 1.0 is no longer now we look at it 
as you know Kuzma here in Canada or USMCA as in the US or TMAC as you know for Mexico if, if you live in Mexico that's what you refer it to as so um, you know what 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 does this exactly mean for for you know the trade or you know the the relations between businesses in the different countries um, you know they're telling us and and this is pretty much why it was created that that it will benefit um, you know agricultural side of things the fashion apparel side of things the you know the manufacturing the e-commerce that everything will kind of benefit from from this new uh, new agreement that's that's you know been revised as NAFTA 2.0 um, if if we take a look back a little bit at the history of the of the original trade deal that we call as NAFTA, um, in 1994 the U.S., Canada, and Mexico signed it, and uh, it, it went into effect. And um, you know, it's like I said, it's it's it was called NAFTA. Um, it it came about as the U.S. and Canada saw an enormous opportunity to trade with uh, their neighbors to the south, uh, Mexico. And uh, the original intent of NAFTA was to promote uh, better trade, um, to bring, I guess we can say steadier, um, you know, growth to Mexico, you know, from an economic perspective. Um, It was a win-win for everyone. Um, By expanding the trade, Mexico would have a wealth of new jobs and opportunities to grow its workforce. And the U.S. and Canada would have a promising market for exports and a lower cost investment to enhance competitiveness of national companies. Also, NAFTA eliminated a lot of tariffs on products that traded between the countries. And uh, it really had a a, a big focus on on making sure that there was trade in the agricultural community and textiles and, uh, of course, in the automotive automotive, uh, manufacturing community as well so the, the the deal was was to protect as well the intellectual property and establish uh, established uh, dispute resolution mechanisms and it also implemented labor and uh, labor safeguards and environmental safeguards uh, NAFTA also reshaped North American econ- economic relations and uh, regional trade really kind of you know tripled under the agreement and the border uh, cross-border investment among the three countries grew from 15 billion to more than a hundred billion so you know it, it, it really did a number on the on the trade relations between the three countries um, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, you know what you're going to call it if you're going to call it NAFTA 2.0 or you know Kuzma or USMC or TMEC whatever it is you're probably wondering you know what exactly would be the new newest portions or changes to it to to NAFTA 2.0 compared to NAFTA 1.0 it's really um, you know 90% of it is is still NAFTA but there's some updates that have happened. So um, if we look at it from the environmental um, perspective, um, it's, uh, it's really the most advanced chapter on the environment of any trade agreement. Um, in terms of the labor, there's a new trade rules for origin to deliver uh, higher wages. 
Also on the de minimis, um, it's, there's an increase to the de minimis shipment value level. Um, on the digital trade front, uh, the strongest dis, uh, disciplines on digital trade of any international agreement. Um, and also on the intellectual property, there's some strong protection and enforcement of IP rights. Um, now, you know, taking a closer look, um, how do I say, there's, there's really uh, eight new changes that will really impact cross-border trade in the trade agreement. Um, for, first one would be the digitalizing of the regulations. So, uh, you know, lack of accurate regulatory information has been one of the biggest uh, kind of issues to the cross-border trade. So incorrect information or just poor data gathering processes often keep small businesses from expanding its trade. Um, but this uh, NAFTA 2.0 is supposed to eliminate these barriers. Um, it really kind of enables um, all of uh, you know each country in the agreement to have easy, free, and online accessible documentation addressing the country's regulations, trade procedures, laws, duties, charges, and documentation requirements. So again, making it easier to, to find all the resources that you need to, to get that trade to happen. Um, another part would be the online documentation processing. Um, so NAFTA 2.0 has directed the member nations to um, kind of use technology to speed up the trade process. So in the new deal, it requires the, the countries to have a digital platform to submit the customs declarations and uh, any other documents that may be needed. Um, with 90% uh, of freight being held up at the border due to pretty much document and paperwork issues, this was definitely something that needed to happen to, to help us along so we can minimize the delays at the borders just because something was inaccurate or not concisely written on the documentation side of things. Um, number three would be the streamlining of the compliance. So NAFTA 2.0 requires all three countries to have, uh, you know, one through one uniform trade export import rules and regulations for their countries. And it's just going to simplify the cross-border trade. Uh, number four would be the new origin procedure. So for NAFTA 2.0, um, the origin procedures have been modernized to better support today's trade environment. And it limits the administration costs to traders. And how do they do this? Well, it provides electronic processes, increasing tra uh, trader participation in certification and verification. Uh, providing it provides a, sim a simpler means to certify the origin of the goods, uh, strengthens the cooperation among customs administrations in the application of the rules of origin, and also it demonstrates an appropriate balance between ensuring compliance and facilitating trade. Um, number five would be the certificate of the origin or certificate of origin, excuse me. Um, so under NAFTA 2.0, the importers will no longer be required to complete a formal certification document. Origin can be proven with informal documentation, such as commercial invoices or an informal uh, origin certificate. Um, so that's, that's something definitely to keep in mind. Um, and uh, just so you know, um, Under uh, under NAFTA 2.0, uh, 
um, the NAFTA certificates or whatever, like previous NAFTA certificates and certification documents must be kept for a minimum of five years. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, number six would be the de minimis increase. Um, so NAFTA 2.0 changed the de minimis threshold so that the low value goods can enter each country kind of duty free. So the new de minimis values are that for the US it's $800 USD. Um, for Canada it's $150 Canadian for duties and uh, customs and then $40 for the taxes. Um, Mexico would be $117 USD for the duties and $50 for the taxes. And um, this is supposed to, the, the increase in the de minimis values is supposed to help smaller businesses and also shippers help with their uh, increased trade um, with the other two uh, nations involved without uh, additional duties or taxes expressed. Um, number seven would be the express shipments. Um, so under, under NAFTA 2.0, all express shipment documents are to be processed by customs prior to arrival of the shipment. If all the documentation and data is good to go, um, the release of the shipments is to be like expedited so it can go faster. Um, number eight would be the single window clearance. So the new agreement has made provisions to set up a technology-based single window clearance system that informs the exporters, importers, and all other users of the shipment status. Um, this is again to speed up the cross-border trade between the countries. So really when you look at it, you know, NAFTA 2.0 has new regulations. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can kind of take a look at. Um, if we kind of just narrow it down to things that may be of concern for people right off the bat, um, if we look at our agricultural agricultural sector, um, so there's an increased uh, market access for the U.S. dairy farmers into Canada, into Canada's market share, and uh, it kind of uh, the, it covers the full range of dairy products, and access will not be shared with other countries. And um, also, uh, Canada is to. Um, you know, they're saying they're gonna eliminate milk classes six and seven and apply new export penalties. Um, so low price Canadian dairy products will no longer um, undersell US products in Canada or other third country markets. So Canada will also apply export penalties on shipments of skim milk powder, milk protein concentrates and infant formula over specific quantity thresholds. Uh, Canada will eliminate its discriminatory grading of U.S. wheat. So no country of origin statement will be required on Canada's quality grade certificates. Um, the new tariff rate quotas for dairy, poultry, and eggs is another part of this agricultural outline. And uh, Canada will provide new tariff rate quotas exclusively for the U.S., giving American dairy farmers the opportunity of more export opportunities. Um, also, BC is to eliminate the discriminatory treatment of U.S. wine in grocery stores. So it includes new non-discrimination and transparency commitment, commitments regarding the sale and distribution of alcoholic beverages. And Mexico will not restrict market access for certain U.S. cheeses. So this uh, it pro prohibits the restriction of cheeses because they are labeled certain names. 
Um, so that would be kind of an outline for the agricultural side. On the automotive side of things, um, there's uh, it's there's going to be an increase in regional value content requirements, and it's kind of looking at regional value content of 75%. Uh, there's going to be new requirements for vehicle producers' uh, use of steel and aluminum. There's going to be a minimum of 70% of producers' steel and um, aluminum uh, purchases must originate in North America. Um, this is probably going to create jobs, I would assume. Um, another part for the automotive would be the, it removes the loopholes that undermine regional value content thresholds. So it removes NAFTA rules that allowed producers to deem non-North American content as originating regardless of origin. Um, also, there's there's going to be an introduction of first ever labor value content rule. And so certain percentages of qualifying vehicles must be produced by employees making an average of $16 per hour. Um, also, there's gonna be a reduction in the administrative burden on vehicle and parts producers. Uh, new origin procedures are designed to reduce the burden on automotive producers while helping to strengthen um, enforcement of the agreement's automotive rules. Um, so that would be your automotive outline. Um, in addition to this, um, an another sector we can look at is the digital trade. Um, so NAFTA 2.0 prohibits the application of customs duties to digital products. So it includes anything distributed electronically, including eBooks, videos, music, software, games, all that stuff. Um, also, it ensures that uh, data can be transferred across borders. Um, another thing we can look at is the energy sector. So there's a zero energy trade in energy products and uh, it maintains the free flow of energy across the borders in North America through the continued zero tariff treatment of US energy exports to Mexico and Canada. Uh, locks in Mexico's historic energy reforms. So it locks in for US investors, service suppliers and other companies um, the benefits of uh, Mexico's historic 2013 energy reform. Um, you can take a look at what that is on your spare time because it's a big document too. Um, so in, uh, in addition to this in the energy sector, it's the, the NAFTA 2.0 facilitates the movement of hydrocarbons by pipeline. It allows hydrocarbons transported through pipelines to qualify as originating provided that any dilutant regardless of origin does not constitute more than 40% of the volume of the goods or good. Um, also in the energy sector, there's gonna be a certification requirement for oil and gas. Uh, new flexibilities in the rules of origin certification requirements for oil and gas moving between the uh, US, Mexico, and Canada. And also there's gonna be streamlined regulatory process for US LNG exports to Mexico and Canada. So US liquefied natural gas um, exports to Mexico and Canada will continue to receive automatic export approvals, whereas exports to non-FTA partners require determination that they are in the public interest. Um, from the financial services side of things, there's going to be updated provisions. It allows for cross-border transfer of data and an updated market access obligation. And it also will not restrict the limit or access to foreign markets. So commitments for allowing specifically listed financial services to be provided on a cross-border basis, such as uh, insurance services, portfolio management and advisory services and electronic payment services as well. 
Um, when we look at uh, small business, small and medium-sized businesses, um, NAFTA 2.0 will lower the value, um, will uh, look at uh, cutting red tape for lower value shipments under 2,500 bucks. Um, it increases the minimum, the minimus levels for exports to Mexico and Canada, making it easier for um, small businesses um, to engage in uh, cross-border trade. NAFTA 2.0 will reduce costs and bring uh, greater ease to cross-border transactions. So through provisions requiring online publications of laws, regulations, and contact information, tariffs, taxes, and all other fees, it expands uh, the advanced rulings by customs authorities, provisions requiring an online searchable database for customs information, and expedited release of express shipments. It also prohibits customs duties and products distributed electronically. Uh, the di digital trade chapter contains the strongest provision of any international agreement. Uh, it also eliminates unnecessary requirements to open a foreign office. So the cross-border trade and services chapter eliminates the need for foreign offices in order to conduct business in that country. It also includes a new provision encouraging parties consider effects of regulatory actions on small businesses or small business um, service suppliers, uh, suppliers and to avoid authorization procedures that impose disproportionate burdens on the small businesses. So this could bode well for, for companies that are looking to expand into Canada for sure out of the US. Um, on the textile front of things, there's going to be a revision in the rules incentivize the use of regional inputs. Um, it's expanding of markets for U.S. producers of sewing thread, narrow elastic fabrics, pocketing, and coated fabrics from within North America. Um, there's going to be a restructuring tariff. Um, so it reduces some uh, tariff preference levels for U.S. imports from Canada and Mexico while substantially increasing uh, tariff preference levels for U.S. exports to Canada of apparel and other finished textile goods, which will provide significant new export opportunities for U.S. manufacturers. In addition to this, there's going to be updated rules of origin flexibility. So again, revised rules allow manufacturers to use textile inputs not generally available in North America. It increases the de minimis percentage of non-originating inputs allowed in qualifying goods from 7 to 10%. In addition to this, in the textile sector, there's going to be new customs enforcement provisions. Uh, strong new textile-specific enforcement procedures will help to prevent circumvention and fraud. Um, so that would be if we're looking at the U.S. side of things, um, kind of benefits or changes um, for the U.S. Um, for the Canadian side of things, uh, for agricultural specifically, um, there's going to be an increased market access into the U.S. in form of tariff rate quotas. It covers refined sugar, sugar-containing products, cheese, cream, milk, and butter. There's going to be tariff eliminations for whey and margarine. It includes liberalized rules of origin for margarine. Uh, there's going to be uh, removal of uncertainty and unpredictability for chicken turkey sectors. Um, so informed by ability to apply the definition of specially defined mixtures in Canada's WTO schedule on a multilateral basis to ensure tariff quotas are not circumvented. 
It also protects sale of wine and spirits in Canada. It maintains commitments, commitments that reflect the unique character of wine and spirit sales. On the automotive side of things for Canada, um, it's going to increase regional value content, again, same as in the U.S., so it establishes regional value content of 75%. Also, the new requirements for vehicle producers' use of steel, again, the minimum of 70% of producers' steel and aluminum purchases must originate in North America. It's going to remove the loopholes. It's going to introduce first-ever labor law about the $16 per hour, as mentioned, for the U.S., and it also re reduces the administrative burden on vehicle and parts producers, just just like it did for the U.S., the same sort of deal. Um, when we look at the digital trade, it's identical to the U.S. So again, it prohibits the application of customs duties on digital products that originate from Canada, such as ebooks, videos, music, software, and games. In addition to this, it ensures that data can be transferred across borders. Now on the energy sector, um, it maintains the obligations on the trade in energy products and services, including in the areas of national treatment and market access, rules of origin, customs, trade facilities, and cross-border trade in services and investment. There's also a rule of origin change. Um, it allows up to 40% of non-originating dilutant in pipelines when cr moving crude oil. Um, a long-standing Canadian industry request, of course. Um, so this this might very well help our people in Western Canada. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's time will tell. Um, from the financial services sector, in terms of Canada, um, there's going to be updated provisions, of course. So it allows for cross-border transfer of data um, and uh, updated market access. And also it does not restrict or limit or access to foreign markets, just like for the US. Particularly speaking, the insurance services, portfolio management and advisory services and electronic payment services. Um, in the textile world for Canada, um, there's gonna be greater flexibility for producers using small amounts of non-originating material. Um, there's gonna be a facilitative pathway to origin for uh, in ingenuous textiles and apparel goods. Um, also, it maintains the yarn forward rules of origin. It relaxes the approach for, approach for niche vegetable-based yarns and fabrics that are often sourced from outside um, North America. It also preserves existing trade under uh, Canada's tariff preference levels and effectively administers uh, rules of origin as discussed and enhances cooperation among customs administration as discussed as well. On the small business side of things, uh, there's gonna be an increase in participation in trade, easier for Canadian small businesses to do business in the entirety of North America. Um, also, it promotes increased trade and investment opportunities for small businesses. Um, yeah, so that would be that would be kind of on the Canadian side of things when we're looking at that. In terms of that certificate of origin, um, when you're shipping across the border um, under, well, when it was happening under NAFTA, there were three big documents that you needed. You needed your commercial invoice, you needed your certificate of origin, and you needed your bill of lading. Um, under NAFTA 2.0, there is one change that's pretty slight but in any ways uh, you you don't 
need a formal certificate of origin now, but you still need to provide proof of origin. So um, for the proof of uh, proof of origin, what you need for NAFTA 2.0, you need to identify the organization. So you need the name, the title, the address, the phone number, the email, and all that stuff. Uh, you need the exporter, the producer, and importer names. You need detailed description of the originating goods and tariff classification. You need origin criteria. You need a blanket period if applicable. Uh, you need authorized signature and date. E-signatures are also accepted. And um, in, that's pretty much that. And then the, well, in the closing statement, you, it just has to stay, state that you certify that the goods described in the document qualify as originating and the information contained in the document is true and accurate. You also have to assume responsibility for providing that uh, representation and agree to maintain and present upon request or to make available during the verification visit uh, documentation necessary to support the certification. So it's really just a declaration that Yes, this is the exporter, producer, importer. This is who I am. Um, you know, this is the description. These are the tariff classifications. This is the origin criteria. I'm going to sign it. I'm going to e-sign it. I'm going to make sure that I uphold, you know, the promise that this is what it actually is. And this, this is the true statement. So that's really the, the minor or slight changes. You don't need an actual formal certificate of origin, but you do need kind of just proof of origin and so I definitely wanted to go through that with you guys um, I know that a lot of people get confused they're like uh, I don't know I don't know exactly what is right and what is wrong um, you can definitely go further into it by visiting the government websites there is printouts that you can do of you know of these different agreements and uh, of course when the time comes to ship you got to make sure you have the right cross-border partner to help you along the way so you can get things in order and if you don't have something they can say hey you're missing this we need you to get this in order for the shipment to move properly um so yeah i mean that's that's just some of the things i wanted to talk about today was definitely nafta and what Again, what NAFTA 2.0 or Kuzma holds in store for us, or of course, in the, if you're in the US, the USMCA. Um, yeah, so like I said, um, hopefully this helps some or a little bit um, in terms of um, what to expect in the changes that have happened. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it all goes about and how how it helps each sector as described. Um, it took a while. There's a lot of meetings back and forth between the three governments. Um, you know, at times there was some pride in there. There was people leaving meetings and saying, ah, you know, we're, we're just gonna get up and leave until we get our way. But it looks like the three countries have managed to do some compromising to help the trade continue. So we don't, we don't go down a, a dark tunnel that, that might lead to, to worse economic times but um yeah i'm i'm very happy that i got a chance to share this with you guys and that uh hopefully you guys take something out of it that could definitely help you along your way 
Um, and now in closing, I would like to read just a quick little positive story and hopefully you guys can listen along to it and at the end um, make your own decision as to what it may mean or how it applies to your life. So once upon a time, um, a, a long, long time ago, two ambitious young cousins named Pablo and Bruno lived side by side in a small Italian village. The young men were best buddies and big dreamers. They would talk endlessly about some day, some way, they would become the richest men in the village. They were both bright and hardworking. All they needed was an opportunity. One day that opportunity arrived. The village decided to hire two men to carry water from a nearby river to a cistern in the, two, in the town square. The job went to Pablo and Bruno. Each man grabbed two buckets and headed to the river. By the end of the day, they had filled the town cistern to the brim. The village elder paid them one penny for each bucket of water. This is our dream come true, shouted Bruno. I can't believe our good fortune. But Pablo wasn't so sure. His back ached and his hands were blistered from carrying the heavy buckets. He dreaded getting up and going to work the next morning. He vowed to think of a better way to get the water from the river to the village. Bruno, I have a plan, Pablo said the next morning as they grabbed their buckets and headed to the river. Instead of lugging buckets back and forth for pennies a day, let's build a pipeline for the village, from the village to the river. Bruno stopped dead in his tracks. A pipeline? Whoever heard of such a thing, Bruno shouted. We've got a great job, Pablo. I can carry a hundred buckets a day. At a penny a bucket, that's a dollar a day. I'm rich. By the end of the week, I can buy a new pair of shoes. By the end of the month, a cow. By the end of six months, I can buy a new hut. We have the best job in town. We have weekends off and two weeks paid vacation every year. We're set for life. Get out of here with your pipeline. But Pablo was not easily discouraged. He patiently explained the pipeline plan to his best friend. Pablo would work part of the day carrying buckets and part of the day and weekends building his pipeline. He knew it would be hard work digging a ditch in the rocky soil. Because he was paid by the bucket, he knew his income would drop. He also knew it might take a year or two before his pipeline would pay off. But Pablo believed in his dream and he went to work. Bruno and the rest of the villagers began mocking Pablo, calling him Pablo the Pipeline Man. Bruno, who was earning almost twice the money as Pablo, flaunted his new purchases. He bought a donkey outfitted with a new leather saddle, which he kept parked outside his new two-story hut. He bought flashy clothes and fancy meals at the inn. The villagers called him Mr. Bruno, and they cheered when he bought rounds at the tavern and laughed loudly at his jokes. While Bruno lay in his hammock on evenings and weekends, Pablo kept digging his pipeline. The first few months, Pablo didn't have much to show for his efforts. The work was hard, even harder than Bruno's because Pablo was working evenings and weekends too. But Pablo kept reminding himself that tomorrow's dreams are built on today's sacrifices. Day by day, he dug, inch by inch. Inches turned into one foot, then ten feet, then twenty, then one hundred. 
Short-term pain equals long-term gain, he reminded himself as he stumbled into his hut after another exhausting day's work. In time, my reward will exceed my efforts, he thought. Keep your eyes on the prize, he kept thinking as he drifted off to sleep with the sounds of laughter from the village tavern in the background. Days turned into months. One day, Pablo realized his pipeline was halfway finished which meant he only had to walk half as far to fill his buckets. Pablo used the extra time to work on his pipeline. During his rest breaks, Pablo watched his old friend Bruno lug buckets. Bruno's shoulders were more stooped than ever. He was hunched in pain, his steps slowed by the daily grind. Bruno was angry and sullen, resenting the fact that he was doomed to carry buckets day in and day out for the rest of his life. He began to spend less time in his hammock and more time in the tavern. When the tavern's patrons saw Bruno coming, they'd whisper, Here comes Bruno the Bucket Man, and they giggled when the town drunk mimicked Bruno's stooped posture and shuffling gait. Bruno didn't buy rounds or tell jokes anymore, preferring to sit alone in a dark corner surrounded by empty bottles. Finally, Pablo's big day arrived. His pipeline was complete. The villagers crowded around as the water gushed from the pipeline into the village cistern. Now that the village had a steady supply of fresh water, people from around the countryside moved into the village and the village prospered. Once the pipeline was complete, Pablo didn't have to carry buckets anymore. The water flowed whether he worked or not. It flowed while he ate. It flowed while he slept. It flowed on weekends while he played. The more the water flowed into the village, the more money flowed into Pablo's pockets. Pablo the Pipeline Man became known as Pablo the Miracle Maker. But Pablo understood that what he did wasn't a miracle. It was merely the first stage of a big, big dream. You see, Pablo had bigger plans. Pablo planned on building pipelines all over the world. The pipeline drove Bruno the Bucket Man out of business, and it pained Pablo to see his old friend begging for drinks at the tavern, so Pablo arranged a meeting with his old friend. Bruno, I've come here to ask you for your, your help. Bruno straightened his stooped shoulders and his dark eyes narrowed to a squint. Don't mock me, Bruno hissed. I haven't come here to gloat, said Pablo. I've come here to offer you a great business opportunity. It took me more than two years before my pipeline was complete, but I've learned a lot during these two years. I know what tools to use now and where to dig. I know where to lay the pipe. I kept notes as I went along, so now I have a system that will allow me to build another pipeline in less time, then another, and then another. I could help, I could build a pipeline a year by myself, but what I plan on doing is teach you how to build a pipeline, then have you teach others and have them teach others. Just think, we could make a small percentage of every gallon of water that goes through the, those pipelines. Bruno finally saw the big picture. They shook hands and hugged like old friends. Years passed. Their world pipelines were pumping millions of dollars into their bank accounts. Sometimes on their trips through the countryside, Pablo and Bruno would pass villagers from other villages carrying buckets. Their friends would pull over and tell them their story and offer to help them build a pipeline, but sadly most bucket carriers would hastily dismiss the notion. I don't have the time. My friend told me he knew a friend whose uncle's best friend tried to build a pipeline and failed. Only the ones who get in early make money on a pipeline. I've carried buckets my whole life, I'll stick to what I know. I know people who lost money in a pipeline scam. 
Both men resigned themselves to the back to the fact they lived in a world with a bucket carrying mentality and only a very small percentage of people would ever see the vision so who are you a bucket carrier or a pipeline builder do you get paid only when you go up for work like bruno the bucket carrier or do you do the work once and get paid over and over again like pablo the pipeline builder if you're like most people, you're working the bucket carrying plan. It's the time for money trap. The problem with bucket carrying is that the money stops when the bucket carrying stops, which means the concept of a secure job or a dream job is an illusion. The inherent danger of carrying buckets is that the income is temporary instead of ongoing. If Bruno woke up one morning with a stiff back and couldn't get out of bed, how much money would he earn that day? zero no work no money the same goes for any bucket carrying job once bucket carriers stop carrying buckets for any reason they won't continue to get a paycheck my previous dentist was the best dentist i ever had a complete professional great personality great technician every visit was a virtually pain-free experience she loved what she did and set her own hours. She was only open three days a week so she could spend four day weekends with her family. She pulled down more than $100,000 a year working three days a week at a job she loved. She was a bucket carrier's dream job if there ever was one. One problem, before the age of 40, she developed arthritis in her hands and couldn't work anymore. Today, she teaches at a university earning one third the income she earned as a dentist. There is no such thing as a secure bucket carrying job, no matter how great it seems. The problem with the time for money trap is that if you can no longer trade the time, you no longer get the money. Most people mistake bucket carrying for pipeline building. We observe 99% of the people in the world as carrying buckets, so we assume bucket carrying is the way to get what we want in life. We grow up surrounded by bucket carriers, so we figure that's the way out of, out of the world. It reminds me of a bucket, uh, bumper sticker I saw. 100,000 lemmings can't be wrong. People think the same way about bucket carriers. 100 million bucket carriers just can't be wrong. Well, yes they can. Let's face it, there are a lot more bucket carriers in the world than pipeline builders. Why? Because bucket carrying is the model that our parents followed and the one that they taught us to follow. The bucket carrying model tells you, here's what you do to get ahead. Go to school and learn how to carry buckets. Work really hard. Earn the right to carry bigger buckets. Or get promoted. Resign from bucket company A to work for bucket company B, which lets you carry even bigger buckets. Work longer hours so you can carry more buckets. Put the kids through bucket carrying college. Try to get promoted from carrying metal buckets to carrying plastic buckets to carrying digital buckets. Dream of the day you can retire from bucket carrying after 30-40 years. Until then, keep carrying those buckets. Or, the bucket carrier's dream comes true. You hit the big lottery. The odds are 1 in about 14 to 15 million against them. But hey, most all bucket carriers think it could happen to them. So, until then, keep carrying those buckets. 
What do all those bucket carriers earn for their efforts? Surprisingly little. According to Parade Magazine's What People Earn survey, the average worker in America earns 28500 a year. Subtract almost 20% for taxes, and that leaves 22500 take-home pay. Let's face it, that's not enough for most people to live on. What do bucket carriers do when they need more money? Because they have a bucket carrying mentality, they come up with a bucket carrying solution. If you need more money, you've got to carry more buckets. I'll get a second job carrying buckets in the evenings and on weekends, daddy bucket carrier decides. I can go back to the bucket carrying job I had before the kids were born, mommy bucket carrier says. The kids can get bucket carrying jobs after school and in the summer, they both say. The results? Today, North Americans work the longest hours in the world. Yes, even more than the work-obsessed Japanese. Is the earn more money by carrying more buckets plan working? No. Here are the facts. Consumer debt is at a record high. The average household has 95 cents worth of debt for every dollar earned. The proportion of women working to support their families more than doubled over the past 20 years. More people are taking second and third mortgages on their single biggest asset, their homes, to pay the bills. Hello, what's wrong with this picture? It's the fallacy of carrying bigger buckets. Bucket carriers tell themselves everything would be okay if they could carry bigger buckets. Bucket carriers are forever wondering how much money other bucket carriers earn. True, the doctor's bucket is a lot bigger than the cook's bucket about 10 times bigger, but that doesn't mean the doctor is financially independent. He's just a dependent on his bucket carrying job as a cook. Why? They spend more. Truth is, the doctors and lawyers make six figures, who are making six figures, are spending most of their income to support their lifestyles. The average worker drives a $5,000 used car. The doctor drives a $45,000 Lexus. The average worker sends his kids to free public school. The doctor sends kids to private school, and on and on and on. The doctor spends just as much of a percentage of his income than all the other bucket carriers. All are living paycheck to paycheck. If you don't believe, check the bankruptcy records. You'll see every kind of bucket carrier listed in there. All buckets dry up no matter how big they are. Pipelines, on the other hand, are self-sustaining. But pipelines require sacrifice. Pipelines don't build themselves. You have to be willing to put in the time and effort to build them. Carry as big a bucket as you can, but build the pipeline on the side. Because as long as you carry buckets, you have to show up to get paid, and no matter how big the bucket is, it will dry up. Many a person has gone from the millionaire next door to the bankrupt person next door. This person had a huge bucket and now has nothing. His name is Daryl Strawberry, professional baseball player. The 38-year-old outfielder broke into the majors as a teenager and was hailed as the next Ted Williams. Strawberry has made a fortune in his career, two to five million every year. That was just from his baseball contract. Add a couple million from endorsements, speeches, autographs, and more, and he's earned 50 to 100 million before his 40th birthday. A guy like that has to be set for life, right? Wrong. According to a local newspaper report, Strawberry has no income or savings to support his current wife and three children. What happened? 
Strawberry bought expensive everything, including drugs and alcohol. Strawberry didn't build a pipeline because he thought he had enough money to last forever no matter what. He can't play baseball anymore because of his drug problem. He won't be allowed to play ever again. He's broke. What sounds like the best plan to you? Remember, most of your friends and neighbors won't understand. They've been taught to carry buckets. It doesn't matter how much money you earn or how little money you earn. We all have the same amount of time in each day, 24 hours. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, lawyer, or cook. It only takes time to build a pipeline. Yes, you'll need tools, but those will cost relatively very little, so everyone has an equal opportunity when it comes to building a pipeline. Some people put off building their pipelines because right now isn't a good time for me. Guess what? Right now is a bad time for anybody. We're all stressed. We're all busy. We're all putting out fires and dealing with unexpected emergencies. There's a word for these bad times. It's called life. Some people waste their lives waiting for the perfect time to do X, Y, and Z. Well, they'll die waiting because there's no such thing as a perfect time. If someone told you they'd give you a million dollars if you'd sit in a corner and knit for two hours every day for one year, you'd find the time, right? It wouldn't matter if your son broke his arm, your car wouldn't start, the cat got sick. Rather than forfeit a million dollars, you'd find the time no matter what. This is the North American mentality. People often ask why they should take the time and effort to build pipelines when things aren't going so bad for them right now. They say they deserve to relax in a recliner and watch TV after a hard day's work. Got a few bucks in the bank? Kids are doing good in school. No need to rock the boat. There's no better time to build a pipeline than when things are going good. A man was on the 30th floor of a fancy hotel overlooking Central Park in Manhattan. He pulled back the shades and threw open the window to enjoy the view. As he leaned out the window, he was startled to see a man falling past his window. How was, how you doing? He asked the falling man. Fine so far, came the reply. The point is, there are lots of bucket carriers in the world that think they're doing just fine, but they can't stay in the free fall forever. Sooner or later, they'll meet the ground. For bucket carriers, it's don't or can't show up for work, no more, no paycheck. So there is the finale of that story and take what you want from it. It's an interesting one nonetheless. It's an interesting one to read and makes you think about what it, what are the possibilities out there. So with that, I will end today's miniature 50-minute podcast, and I hope you learned something from it. Um, Again, reach out to me if you guys need any kind of questions answered, and I'm looking forward to have more guests so we can do more YouTube videos of live podcasts, Um, and also looking for more guests to do Zoom calls with as well. I've got plenty of offers so far with from some incredible people I've met throughout this whole pandemic and everything that has happened in 2020. So I'm definitely looking forward to it further. And um, yeah, I took 50 minutes out of my day to do this and hopefully you guys enjoyed. And um, back to cold calling tomorrow and back to kicking some doors in. But again, hope you enjoyed the story as well.
big up yourselves take it easy respect from canada cheers <laughs>